2012, Anne Hathaway was at the height of her career. Her performance in Les Mis was generating Oscars buzz. But as her career soared, she quickly became Hollywood's most loathed star. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> this is our second and final episode in our series about Anne Hathaway, Mish, and the rise of Hatha H. Yeah, we do love this one. We left off We don't love the Hatha H. We don't love the Hatha H. We fucking love Anne Hathaway. Yes. And it's been a delight kind of fangirling over her in episode one and all of our research for this series. Now, we left off the last episode. If you haven't listened, please go back and do that right now. We left off in 2012 where things were going really well in Anne's work life in particular. Her personal life had had a bit of a roller coaster with her former partner going to jail for fraud, but she was also back on her feet in her personal life. She got married. Exactly. She earned critical acclaim after playing Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises. She was generating Oscar buzz for her performance in Les Mis. As you said, Mish, she married her partner of four years, the producer Adam Schulman. She turned 30. And looking back, she was sort of doing all the right things in interviews as well as she possibly could have, right? Yeah. By 2022 standard, we can't really find anything Anne Hathaway has said that we find remotely offensive or annoying. But apparently 10 years ago, people found her annoying. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as we said, when reporters asked her about all the weight she had to lose to play Fontaine, she did acknowledge that it was an unhealthy amount of weight. She refused to discuss how she did it. She did not want to fuel toxic diet cultures. She also later said that she didn't want to talk about the weight loss publicly because, and I quote, I damaged my health during Lamers, which I didn't want to mention in case it seemed like I was courting sympathy. Yeah, and bizarrely, what also courted more controversy for Anne was when a photographer took a photo up her skirt at the Les Mis premiere. It so happened that while Anne was wearing a certain outfit, she wasn't wearing underwear and she was blamed and she was seen as the villain for that photo circulating. Yeah, well, it was more like people wanted to consistently keep talking about it to her when she was actually the victim of a crime. Like, upskirting is a crime. Now, you would think that, as you said, we should not only be at the height of her career but popularity, but at the end of 2012, BuzzFeed, as we mentioned in the last episode, wrote a listicle rounding up all reasons people used to speak about online for hating Anne Hathaway. The tagline read, her career may be on the rise, but public opinion of Anne Hathaway is at an all-time low. The reasons were absurd. Yeah. Like they were just that she'd completely ruined some movies that people really loved because she thought she was cool, because she was too perfect. And ultimately they finished the piece by saying there was no real reason, which we love. Cool, BuzzFeed. We love that. Great journalism. Now, it was around the end of 2012 when we really started to see Hatha hate ramp up. It had been simmering away for some time, but the end of 2012 is when it truly became the worst kind of rocket ship. So Zara... We left last episode at the end of 2012. Let's rewind to the beginning of 2013. All 
Alrighty, Mish. So it's the beginning of 2013 and it's award season. And boy, are people talking about Anne Hathaway. She was the front runner for like every major award that season, which meant she was the centre of attention during red carpet events and eventually speeches, which meant she was just everywhere. Yeah, and perhaps her first public misstep of the year was during the Critics' Choice Awards. It was in January and she didn't come across the best during her acceptance speech for Best Supporting Actress. She spent the first part of her speech kind of chastising the organisation for misspelling her name in a clip reel. Yeah, exactly. She said, this is a bittersweet moment for me because I have this award, but you spelled my name wrong. It's with an E. It's probably a bad taste for me to point that out here. (laughs) I wonder if Anne Hathaway just suffers from feeling a little awkward in social situations sometimes. That's literally how it sounds. I I can truly see myself on the biggest stage of my career when all the eyes are on me doing something like this and then immediately regretting it to be like, I was just filling space with words because I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think a lot of people would be similar, but a lot of people argue, including Harper's Bazaar, that Hatha Hate really began to take off after the Golden Globes in January 2013. Now, Anne won the award for Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes that year for her performance in Les Mis, and her speech attracted a lot of hate, Mish. Yeah, looking back on the speech, Anne herself has said that she kind of went into this, and I quote, weirdly presentational mode. Let's play you guys a snippet so you can get a taste of what this speech sounded like. Blurg. Um, Thanks for that word, Tina. Um, Oh my gosh, this is happening. Uh, uh, To the Hollywood Forum Press, thank you so much for having me in this room full of extraordinary artists that have changed my life with their work. Um, Thank you for this lovely blunt object that I will forevermore use as a weapon against self-doubt. And thank you for putting me, my work, in uh, this category with great and gutsy actresses, Amy, Nicole, Helen, and Sally. I mean, there's nothing that sort of, when I was watching this, there's nothing that really stood out to me as particularly... Bad. I mean, perhaps the line weapon of self-doubt was a little earnest, but there was nothing else to me that felt too much. Anne later admitted that she felt she was being inauthentic that night. She said, I couldn't tie this moment to what I really wanted to say. And that's on me because Lapita did it. Now, she was actually referring to Lapita Nyong'o's graceful speech on winning Best Actress in 2014 for 12 Years a Slave. I went back and watched that speech as well. It was. Lupita's was an amazing speech. Yeah. But it's a huge deal to be standing on stage at like something like the Golden Globes. And I know the Golden Globes aren't nearly as big of a deal now as they were then, but in front of your entire industry, in front of the whole world, you can imagine you being a bit clunky about that. Yeah. And you can also imagine that in those kind of nights, which are like movies, night of nights or TVs, night of nights or whatever, any of the main... Night any, of nights. Yeah. <laughs> any of the main award shows... Lots of actors take themselves a little too seriously. A lot of people get up on stage and act like their craft is the be-all and end-all. Anne Hathaway is not an anomaly in speaking that way, in delivering a speech like that, and yet the coverage made it out as if she was the most insufferable person to ever grace an award ceremony. Yeah, I mean, according to Harper's Bazaar, she was also at this point when she accepted the award. Exhausted, she apparently had the flu. She was feeling like generally frustrated perhaps about the lack of interest the media seemed to have about her character 
in the film Lame is and the issue of sexual slavery. And it seems that she wasn't feeling her best and she definitely wanted people to take her a little more seriously than perhaps they were. Yeah. Anne also admits that she fumbled through the end of that speech and once she got off stage, she actually realised that she had forgotten to thank her manager of 15 years who was battling cancer at the time. She said, and I quote, that was one of my most regretted life moments. Yes, but here's where it gets a little more complicated, right? Because what she did next to try and fix the problem kind of made things worse. So let me set the scene. Later in the evening when Les Mis won the award for Best Musical or Comedy, Anne Hathaway said she had asked the film's producer, Eric Fellner, before taking the stage if she could quickly run up to the mic and thank her manager because she'd forgotten to earlier in the night. So when the cast and crew of Les Mis were getting on stage to accept the award, Anne sort of bolted ahead and very quickly thanked her manager. And it didn't come across the best and I think what made it even worse Mish is that after she said her thank you the producer Eric Fellner started by saying okay I haven't forgotten to thank anyone because I haven't even started yet oh god it's awkward here is a snippet for you guys to hear how this unfolded I just, I just want to say on behalf of all the actors that we want to thank our reps and I forgot to thank my manager of 14 years Susan by Mel Susan I love you so much thank you for everything just had to say that Okay, I I haven't forgotten to thank anyone because I haven't started yet. God, look, okay, I don't want to be Anne Hathaway's number one cheerleader, but let me be her number one cheerleader. I can also understand how when you become so single-minded about something, you become so mortified that you forgot to thank someone, you lose a little self-awareness. And for her, she would have been single-minded in trying to repair this and thank her manager, not realising that that would be terrible optics for her career. I totally agree because everyone thought in that moment, well, Anne Hathaway is clearly not thinking about anything but herself right now, which was true. She was Mm. only thinking about herself, but it wasn't like unpure intentions. I don't even think that makes sense, but it was (laughs) impure, impure, that's it, (laughs) intentions. She was really wanting to thank her manager. Now, according to, I mean, the internet at large, Anne's actions did look kind of selfish and a little dramatic as well. She later admitted, I should have gone after everyone else. I own that. It was rude. People saw that as grabby, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. According to the Daily Beast, after the Golden Globes, a Google search for Anne Hathaway and annoying returned 1.5 million search results. If you tried Anne Hathaway and hate in the same search, that number shot up to 28.5 million. During Anne Hathaway's Golden Globe speech, Twitter apparently measured 19,685 tweets per minute. That was second only to J-Law or Jennifer Lawrence's speech, which also became iconic that night. Mean tweets about Anne included things like, can't watch the Golden Globes anymore because Anne Hathaway called her award a weapon of self-doubt and I threw my pizza at the TV and shattered it. Yeah, there was another really popular one that read, the best performance of 2012, Anne Hathaway in Les Mis. The worst performance, Anne Hathaway in faux surprise, Golden Globes speech. Again, keeps tying back to this idea of inauthenticity and that she has to be more authentic than the person she's portraying. She's fake. She can't be real. Yeah, exactly. Now, the next day, Anne said she actually had some friends over at her place to brainstorm for a sketch video that she was making about celebrity pregnancy rumours. And while Googling her own pregnancy rumours, she saw an article asking, why does everyone hate Anne Hathaway? Mm. Now, a quick aside and a probably completely unimportant tangent, <laughs> like you don't need to go to that stretch to admit why you were Googling yourself. Oh, you can yeah. just say, I saw it. Yeah. And also like, 
I would imagine that any celebrity who knows their way around the media and around PR would have Google notifications set up for or their own name. Someone in their someone circle. in your team. Yeah. You have to you have to be across how people are talking about you, and it's totally fair enough that Anne Hathaway would be across it. But again, in her defence, if she had come out and said I was reading articles about myself, people would have. Yeah. landed even harder on her like you cannot win in a yeah. situation like this no I agree and she said when she saw that article she felt shocked and slapped and embarrassed and like and I quote she'd been punched in the gut and was starting to realize what was going on Mish and truthfully it was kind of only beginning because the half the hate was only getting more intense as the award season was going on yeah and that intensity was fueled according to the daily beast by and I quote an ever-growing ever snarkier army of entertainment bloggers when Anne won at the Screen Actors Guild Awards later that month people also attacked that speech according to stylist mag UK she was branded and I quote bizarre and inauthentic when she joked about being thankful for having dental insurance, unlike her character in Les Mis who had to sell her teeth for money. Yeah. It's she, a long boat to draw. I think, again, like I almost feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's like these clunky jokes that just land a little offbeat. But it's like, are we really going to crucify someone for not having the comedic timing we expect of like the funniest people in the world? Anne also did come across as a tiny bit pretentious in interviews like ones with The Hollywood Reporter, where she talked about how she felt like she was meant to play Fontaine because her mother, as we mentioned in the last episode, had once played that role. She said, we just talked about the character. She told me a lot about her experience playing Fontaine, which gave me even more confidence that it was in my blood, in my DNA. It was family legacy. I think it allowed me to connect on a deeper level to the character, knowing how much it meant to her. Yeah, okay. Yeah, babe, there and, she is. Um, maybe don't say it was in your blood, <laughs> in your DNA to play a character. The tie to your mum is really lovely. But again, that extra step of just too serious, too saccharine, too naff. Yeah, and you then run the risk of people levelling like a nepo baby at you. Yeah, People saying that it's nepotism. Nepo baby. I don't is think we've ever – yeah, no, nepotism baby. I don't think we've ever actually used that slang on the show in four and it's, a half years, but nepo baby is absolutely nepo, right? a thing. Yeah, nepo yeah, baby. Yeah, I haven't fucked that up. <laughs> oh, my God. But as I said, it felt very much like this was her biggest crimes, taking herself too seriously and cracking – awkward jokes would you agree with that yeah for sure this all brings us to the oscars night on february 23 2013 first of all Anne had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction 2.0 the first one was that awful upskirting incident in episode one but guys in episode two we have another wardrobe malfunction at the oscars Anne was donned in a dress that didn't fit quite right and made her nipples prominent or at least had the appearance of prominent nipples which in 2022 would be kind of the vibe and kind of the trend 2013 apparently not the trend we hated nipples in 2013 no it sort of made them look like her boobs like pointed triangles a little bit that's also coming back dear a hundred percent i don't disagree with you now Anne later explained how this happened she said that she'd found a dress a month before the oscars she said the most beautiful reflective shimmery dress rainbows were going to dance off me but the day before the ceremony she was called by a tearful stylist 
saying that the dress had already been worn. So she quickly chose another dress by Valentino, noting that she was, of course, friends with the famed designer. These are the little (laughs) comments we probably don't need. And then that night at Oscar rehearsals, her castmate, Amanda Seyfried, actually showed her her Alexander McQueen dress. And unfortunately, it was essentially a lilac identical version of Anne's Valentino dress. They were by two different designers, but apparently they looked too comparable, too similar, that as castmates, there was no way both women could wear the same thing. Yes. So at 10 p.m. the night before the Oscars, Anne was panicking. She said, I didn't have a freaking dress, which I normally wouldn't care about, but I really needed a dress and everybody hates me. And I just really needed a Mm. dress. You can understand that. The morning of the Oscars, this pale pink satin Prada gown arrived at her house and she thought, you know, this was pretty good. There was no need for tailoring. She recalled, I look in the mirror, turn to Adam and say, it looks like my nipples are hard. He said, you look beautiful. Your nipples look pointy. The red carpet's about to close. We got to (laughs) go. Unfortunately for Anne, everyone mocked this dress so much so that the pointy nipple dress got its own Twitter handle at Hathaway Nipple. Perez Hilton in true Perez Hilton style tweeted about it too. He wrote, Anne Hathaway's stylist should be fired for not forcing her to wear pasties. I'm guessing he means like nipple stickers or something. Hello nipples, hashtag Oscars. Yeah, things got worse during the night. So Anne won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. I mean, as our listeners would probably know now, it wasn't a huge surprise. She'd already won the Golden Globe at the SAG Awards and at the BAFTAs. When she started her acceptance speech, she sort of cradled the statue and whispered, it came true. (laughs) I think that was a pretty good impersonation. (laughs) She rattled off a long list of thank yous as well. Here's a bit of a snippet from that speech. And I just want to mention, I have cut it for pacing, so it's not in full. It came true. (laughs) Thank you so much to the Academy for this and for nominating me with Helen Hunt, Jackie Weaver, Amy Adams, and Sally Field. I look up to you all so much and it's, it's just been such an honor. Thank you. I, there are so many people whose generosity and support is the reason that I'm standing here right now. I must thank Hugh Jackman. Hugh, you're the best. The cast. The crew, especially Simon Hayes and the Sound Wizards, congratulations on tonight, you guys. My family, who I'm so blessed to be a part of, my husband. By far and away, the greatest moment of my life was the one when you walked into it. I love you so much, and thank you for this. Here is hoping that someday in the not-too-distant future, the misfortunes of Fontaine will only be found in stories and never more in real life. Thank you. Okay, so yes, she comes across as poised and she comes across as, I think the word for it is manicured. Like she's clearly rehearsed. She's clearly a very type A kind of personality who prepares and thinks about this stuff and strategizes about it. Is it fair to say that's fake? No, it is fair to say she's not candid though. Yes, absolutely. As Stylist UK wrote, looking back on Anne's Oscars night, people mocked the darts on her powder pink Prada gown, her doe eyes and her too perfect mouth, her awed over eager voice. Then there was the speech itself, which was branded as rehearsed, calculated and disingenuous. There was no doubt about it. The Oscar night darling was now public enemy number one. There's no way we would have been as vitriolic with our hate. And I mean, we as in society slash the media, if she wasn't at the peak of her career. 
For sure. She is winning all of the awards she's cleaning up. Like this is definitely at least a big element of it, tall puppy syndrome. Yeah, it's not like she was winning one of those Rotten Tomato Awards. <laughs> I don't know what those are called. A Razzie. Yeah, a Razzie. Like if she was doing this, picking up a Razzie, people would find it funny. Yeah, and herself again had to acknowledge that she was fake and inauthentic that night and almost apologise for it. She told The Guardian, I kind of lost my mind doing that movie and it hadn't come back yet, referring to the awards ceremonies. It's an obvious thing. You win an Oscar and you're supposed to be happy. Well, I didn't feel that way. I felt wrong that I was standing there in a gown that cost more than some people are going to see in their lifetime, winning an award for portraying pain that still felt very much a part of our collective experience as human beings. I tried to pretend that I was happy and I got called out on it big time. Kind of lines up this quote for me because remember in the last episode we quoted the director of The Devil Wears Prada, David Frankel, who said when in trying to film an anxious scene and would try to kind of let that consume her to the point where she would often make herself sick like she would very much live and breathe these characters now the thing about this kind of criticism is that Anne just couldn't escape all of it because she had to keep fronting red carpets I mean award season is arguably the most public period of an actor's career you're walking like more than six or seven red carpets over the course of a month you're doing speeches you're being interviewed 24 7 I can imagine right If you've already at the start of award season made some clunky, awkward, ill-timed jokes and people have mocked you for that, you're going to feel exposed and so awkward that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that in order to save it, you try to make yourself sound funny and they just are even more awkward and offbeat. It's like when you start to trip and then you just can't stop it. Like you're just heading for the floor. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Your arms are trapped somewhere. Like you cannot stop the momentum of public embarrassment. Unfortunately for Anne, things were only going to get worse. But Zara, we'll talk about all of that after a word from today's sponsor. Okay, Mish. So in the days that followed the Oscars, critics started compiling evidence of Anne's worst, most annoying qualities. Now, a big criticism of Anne was that she was fake and others complained that she tried too hard and that she reminded them of a high school theatre kid. This is a thread that came up heaps in my reading of this time. She got this a lot. Yeah, a lot of people were saying that. Now, a popular tweet at the time from scriptwriter Damien Faye read, Anne Hathaway is like if a Facebook inspirational quote came to life. Yeah, then we had one critic named Richard Dawson who at the time covered entertainment for the Atlantic Wire. He told Hollywood.com that She's got this theatre kid thing where she adopts the mood of every situation she's in. Rude on Chelsea lately, poised and classy at the Oscars, etc. But wildly overcompensates every time. She always seems like she's performing and her favourite act is this overstated humility and graciousness. I've known theatre kids my whole life. I was a theatre kid my whole life. She's the epitome of the bad kind of theatre kid. Yeah, as the Daily Beast wrote, with each public appearance, her detractors found her more and more irritating, with loathing with loathing hitting overdrive following the Oscars stint. Gone was Hathaway the survivor, back was the chipper aggravator. Now, another writer for the women's interest site, Crushable, also wrote this of Anne. Shut up. Shut up, Anne Hathaway. I honestly don't know what it is. Maybe I'm jealous, but I don't feel jealousy. I watch her in outtakes and I feel like she's not a real person. I don't find her perfection charming. I find it annoying. 
On top of all of this, the San Francisco Chronicle named Anne Hathaway the most annoying celebrity of 2013. Even her former co-host at the Oscars, James Franco, decided to kind of be on the periphery of the pylon. He went on the Howard Stern show and Howard Stern said this, everyone sort of hates Anne Hathaway and I've explained that I do too and I don't even know why sometimes. She's just so affected and actressy that even when she wins an award, she's out of breath. And then she has the standard joke that sounds like it's been written for her and it all seems so scripted and acted. He went on, she comes off like the goody two-shoes actress and it's sort of just fun to hate her. Hate is a strong word, but I dislike her even though she is a great actress. Is that accurate? Just like fucking frustrating to hear. I don't know, like a conversation between two guys. I know that was all said by Howard Stern, but just a really annoying tone. Well, that this was the mood at the time that people felt like they could speak so freely about a woman this way. And I think there's nothing that frustrates me more really at all than someone saying they're annoyed by a woman but can't explain why. I mean, we've spoken at length about what that means on the show before about internalised misogyny and all of those kinds of things. But it's incredibly frustrating that people can't examine their own annoyance and realise that they are the problem. And to be gleeful and say it's fun. Like I understand maybe saying it to your friends privately, to get on a radio show and say, and it is Howard Stern, we've got to say that as well, but to say it's so fun to hate her. Like she's a that. human. Yeah. I know that sounds like the most earnest and obvious thing to say, but there's so much dehumanising of Anne Hathaway through this time. It's amazing and not in a good way. Now, I guess this brings us to the big question is like, why were people throwing so much hate at Anne Hathaway? Like, could it just be explained by misogyny or internalised misogyny? Was it the bad speeches? Was there more to it? Of course, what's really fascinating is that everyone at the time had opinions. It wasn't just mm. like people were talking about hating Anne Hathaway. There was also this entire movement of media coverage trying to examine the hate, which almost made it worse. Yeah, for sure. The New York Times weighed in on this and they tried to pick apart while it was happening. They said it could simply be a case of tall poppy syndrome, and I quote, with her too perfect mouth, flawless skin, doe eyes and svelte figure. Miss Hathaway is certainly one of Hollywood's most visible blossoms of late. The New York Times also acknowledged that the Hatha hating had moved beyond what we'd seen for other female celebrities in the past, like Gwyneth Paltrow or Taylor Swift like this was so intense and so widespread that it had surpassed what we had seen for other female celebrities yeah the New York Times also wrote and I quote no one it should be noted accuses her of doing anything wrong rather Miss Hathaway seems to become a mirror for our own inadequacies now David Thompson a film critic and author told salon.com that Anne was an easy target for us to all pour our celebrity hate on He said, she's just a little too wide-eyed, too good to be true. There is an abiding youthfulness about her. The princess image has not gone away. She does not yet quite seem like a grown woman. Might be prime time to remind the listeners that she was 30 when people were talking about this. Patronising. Incredibly patronising. Also, the princess image has not gone away. It's like she just won an Oscar for playing Fontaine in Les Mis. That's a you thing. What else can she do? Your perception hasn't changed, but she's done about everything she can to try and change your own perception. You put her in a box. She's done everything humanly possible. She's achieved the biggest award on the biggest stage. 
to acknowledge like a critically acclaimed performance. If you see her as a teenage princess, that's you. Yes, 1000%. The New York Times also quoted Sarah Nicole Prickett, a writer for Vice at the time. She said, it's not really Anne Hathaway I hate. It is all the lesser real life Anne Hathaways I've known. Princessy, theatre schooled girls who have no game and no sex appeal and eat raisins for dessert. There is so much pick me about that quote. Oh, and like, why is the New York Times interviewing people on this like they're an expert? We're literally talking about hating one person as if it's some kind of like feminist analysis study. Well, also the thing that's frustrating for me is people saying, well, it's not really her that I hate. It's what she represents. And it's like, okay, but you're still putting a human at the centre of something that's definitely a you thing. Yeah. You'd be like, it's not her. It's all the other Anns that I know. And it's like, well, take it up with them. Imagine actually being Anne Hathaway during this time. Awful. Like it's uh, so many celebrities speak at length about how hard it is to be in the public eye. Imagine the New York Times writing pieces on you about why people hate you and then quoting some writer who thinks that you only eat raisins for dessert as if that's journalism. Yeah, I'm just like, what the hell? Also, don't project on people you don't know. Yeah. Like that feels like an obvious thing to say as well. Yeah, let's start and end there. Like that's already bad enough. The New York Times also quoted PM Forney, a professor at John Hopkins University. Now, Dr. Forney told the New York Times that people just like piling on others, almost like groupthink. They said at a certain point, something like what has happened to Miss Hathaway Acquired momentum and people were willing and eager to be part of that momentum. So, I mean, too long didn't read. It's a bandwagon mentality. Yeah, it's an easy bandwagon to jump on. Like it's a really simple, straightforward bandwagon for people to jump on. So they did. There were other reasons that people tried to throw out there as well. The New Yorker's Sasha Weiss added her own speculation to the list. She said she represents the archetype of the happy girl, which is one that many people resist. Weiss wrote that most women on the red carpet are poised defensively and smile without teeth. How's this? (laughs) By comparison, she wrote, Anne stands with her long arms at her sides looking directly, even a little pleadingly, into the camera. Her smile is toothy and takes up half her face. It's a look of unfettered excitement and openness, an expression of high wattage joy that reminds me of none other than a nine-year-old girl about to dig into a big slice of birthday cake. Anne has somehow managed to retain that bright look and many would like to wipe it off her face. What the fuck? Like women, don't be too sexy because we'll call you out for that, but don't be too pure, innocent or joyful. Don't smile with your teeth or have your arms hanging by your sides because then we want to wipe it off your face. It like shouldn't be funny, but it's so exhausting that it is kind of hilarious. Like I do think for Anne Hathaway, I just said don't project onto people you don't know, which is what I'm about to do. But Project love onto people you don't know, nothing else. that's true. I wonder like if this commentary would have almost been worse than the hate itself. Because even if these people said that they had pretty genuine intentions trying to sort of critically unpack what in the world is going on, they're really just throwing all these theories into the universe and picking her apart, trying to kind of point to anything about her that people might hate. And I think by picking it apart to this level, they are giving it some weight and some legitimacy and they're pouring fuel on the fire. Well, it's giving people more reasons to find. Like, oh yeah, I do hate that her teeth take up half her face, which is ludicrous. Yes, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. And it's like, well, for some people who really hated her, they'll just pick all of those reasons and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think these articles 
were going to ever reverse the hate. They just yeah. fueled it, which is so annoying. Another reason that was posited as to why people chose to hate Anne Hathaway was because she was constantly being compared to another big celebrity of the moment in Jennifer Lawrence. Now, around the same time that Anne Hathaway was really gaining momentum in her career, so was J-Law. She actually won the Oscar that year for Best Actress for her performance in Silver Linings Playbook. So the two women who were like the supposed darlings of the award season in 2013 were Jennifer Lawrence and Anne Hathaway. And suddenly by that juxtaposition, Anne was being attacked and hated for not being more like Jennifer. Yeah, The Cut even wrote a whole piece, and it makes me so sad because I quite like The Cut, about the theory titled, Why Do Women Hate Anne Hathaway But Love Jennifer Lawrence? Now, writer Anne Friedman opened with, I can't figure out why I don't like Anne Hathaway, or rather, why we don't. Why we don't. As if anyone jumping into that article automatically hates her too. Mm -hmm. Like that is the group thinking bandwagoning that we spoke of earlier. Absolutely. Later in the piece, Friedman wrote, for someone who's managed to win our seemingly arbitrary love, look no further than Hathaway's fellow winning actress from Sunday night. The universally adored Jennifer Lawrence. She is self-effacing and funny. Yeah, at one point, Anne Friedman, who again, I really love as a writer, so this was sad to read. She glowed about Jennifer Lawrence ordering McDonald's to the Oscars before flatlining and writing, Hathaway is a vegan. Like, just, yeah. it's so, like, loaded. All of it is so loaded. Yeah, don't tell me the tone doesn't matter. Like, even if you're not saying something explicitly, you're saying a lot through the way in which you're saying it. This comparison culture actually spilled out onto Twitter too. I mean, no surprises there. How's this tweet from popular blogger Greggy Bennett? Jennifer Lawrence is the girl who decided to run for student council against Anne Hathaway at the last minute and ruined Anne's six-week campaign. Yeah, then we also heard from comedian Guy Branham who tweeted, Anne Hathaway is so pissed off that she didn't think to fall down the stairs first, referring to how at the Oscars, J-Law tripped up the stairs and acting as if and watched on and thought, oh, damn, if only I had that idea and executed it. Yeah, just, I mean, I don't even know where to go with this. <laughs> Bizarrely, the media was so obsessed with analysing why people really didn't like Anne Hathaway that they started to ask psychologists if there was science behind it. Less sigh. <laughs> Psychology professor Terry Pettyjohn, who has conducted studies on actress preference, told Salon.com that yes, there could even be a scientific reason why people hated Anne Hathaway. He said this, I'm surprised it's a guy. When times are good, we prefer actresses with rounder faces. They convey these ideas of fun and youth. He said that Anne had a mature face with a slender shape and bone structure, which, and I quote, suggests she would be popular when times are more challenging. Fuck off. The journalist wrote, this is no joke, that as the economy improves, Anne may just be a reminder of bad times. <laughs> The peak of her fame came during the 2008 economic crash. Ah, this is so stupid. People are saying now that we hated <laughs> Anne Hathaway at this point because she reminded us <laughs> of the global financial crisis in 2008. Like, get fucked. Because of her slender face. I'm fucked if that's the case. I've got a yeah, lot of Yeah, you do. <laughs> you are a You're thriving. I, if, if the times are good and Trump's no longer in administration, <laughs> my big round face is thriving. <laughs> 
Oh. Now, as a reminder, when all of this was happening, Anne had turned 30 and she was acutely aware of the hate that she was receiving online. In fact, she spoke to the media about it. She told one publication, you have to remember in life that there's a positive to every negative and a negative to every positive. The miracle of the universe is that, as far as we know, there's a 51% matter versus 49% antimatter. Things tip in the scale of the positive, so that's what I focus on. Yeah, she also said that she was trying not to let the criticism get to her and affect the way she feels about other people. She said, I live my life with love. I live my life with compassion. I live my life hoping for the best for absolutely everyone, no matter how they feel about me. And when you live that way, it's amazing how beautiful every day can be. Yeah, she did later admit to Harper's Bazaar, though, that this was a really difficult time for her. She said, for a long time, I was afraid of the harsh things people would say about me. And for a while, the harsh things people said about her had a real impact on her ability to keep building her career. After winning that Oscar, instead of getting more calls and more offers for movie roles, Anne said that directors basically didn't want to work with her. She recalled directors telling her, I think you're great. You're perfect for this role, but I don't know how audiences will accept you because of all this stuff, all this baggage. Yeah, but then Christopher Nolan called. They'd worked together on The Dark Knight Rises and he wanted her for his upcoming blockbuster called Interstellar. Anne said that was a real turning point for her. She said, once it was announced that I was doing Interstellar, thankfully the phone started ringing again. Now, Interstellar, which came out at the very end of 2014, marked a pretty important shift for Anne. It was a really different kind of role and very different to the kind of theatre kid, good girl persona that she had projected and, you know, annoyed people with. She herself described the character as very serious, very prickly, and again, she was proving how great her range was as an actress. I do find this interesting though because I kind of thought by this point she'd really proved her range as an actress. Yeah, you would think that Les Mis should have done that. Yeah, Les Mis, Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada. Like she was taking on a, a wide array of roles. Yeah, since this 2013 hate spiral clusterfuck, which has been almost painful to trawl back through Zara because it just seems so friggin' unfair, thankfully. Anne's reputation has almost done a complete 180 and thank God because she absolutely deserves it. She recently went on the Kelly Clarkson show and competed in a sing-off with Kelly and won in a landslide. The comments on that video are far and away from what we were seeing 10 years ago. The top comments included, Anne Hathaway is an incredible actor and singer. I love her so much. She is so stunning, so gorgeous. All the way to Anne Hathaway is a class act. Yeah, so it does pose the question, how does she overcome the hate? And it turns out time does heal a lot, I got to say. But also she was relatively smart and strategic about it. For starters, it seemed as though she deliberately disappeared from the spotlight for a while. After the award season of 2013, she went really quiet that year, aside from a single cameo in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Don John. In 2014, she made a comeback. Her film Song One premiered at Sundance at the start of the year. And in an interview with the Huffington Post in 2014 at Sundance, a reporter asked, you were very much part of our lives in 2012, but we didn't see you much in 2013. I think people miss you. 
She replied quite candidly, my impression is that people needed a break from me. Yeah, I think a big part of how she also pivoted away from this is that she really embraced self-deprecation. She started joking about how her nipples looked direct on The Tonight Show and also rapped about her Hatha haters. In Stylist UK's words, she proved that she was bigger than the cyber bullies. I think a real turning point for all of this as well was Anne's interview and profile in Harper's Bazaar in 2014. It was a piece titled kiss and make up with Anne Hathaway, we dare you. Now, Harper's Bazaar in this piece basically went after the critics. They said, the problem is there's an actual person, Anne Hathaway, at whom this brutally jaunty phrase is directed. A woman who is sincere to a fault, as earnest as quinoa. A woman, (laughs) it's pretty funny. A woman who is warm and funny, who has a laugh as big as her personality. Hathaway somehow attracted this hate during the 2013 awards season through her perceived inauthenticity, her very actressness. Yeah, Anne was quoted in that piece addressing the hate She said, what am I supposed to do? Pretend like it didn't happen. People treated me a certain way, but I've grown from it. This whole thing has made me a way more compassionate and loving person. And I don't feel sorry for myself. By about 2017, the think pieces and articles around Anne Hathaway really properly started to change. In an interview with Jezebel in 2017, the journalist Rich Jezwiak spoke to Anne and reflected on how he himself had written and perpetuated the hate against her back in 2013. He asked her about the sort of everybody hates Anne Hathaway articles that were everywhere a few years prior. And she said, it's very interesting to be talking to you about it because I love your site, but for a while I had to stop reading it because I would just be reading about something totally unrelated to me and see a headline about me and how much your site dislikes me or whoever was writing it dislikes me. That would catch me off guard. Yeah. The irony in being so self-effacing about all of this, though, and giving journalists such thoughtful and lovely sound bites was that by this point, Anne had to talk about the hate she received in almost every interview she did. It's hard to kind of like close a chapter once you open it and you're ready to talk about it. And naturally, everyone wanted quotes. That journalist confronted with the conversation wrote, at the time, I thought I tried to examine the Hathaway hatred as a phenomenon, but with the caveat that, despite all of it, she was still winning. Still, I was overly harsh at times, and I certainly didn't consider Hathaway's humanity to the extent that I should have. There's one quote in that Jezebel piece that I'd love to unpack with you because the journal wrote, but also I think all that talk about Hathaway being disliked made her into something of an underdog. And since, at least from where I sit, pop culture underdogs are inherently endearing. The strange thing about Hathaway's career in the last five years is that being disliked ultimately made her likeable what a ride. Now, the reason I wanted to draw attention to that is I actually despise the thought that journos are trying to make themselves feel better about the hate that they inflicted on her because eventually they think she's winning. That's like saying, sorry I hit you or sorry I hurt you. You're recovered now. And you're stronger for it. You wouldn't have been able to recover if I had never hurt you in the first place. Like what a ludicrous argument. Maybe you can try and twist that into being semi-right if we weren't talking about a human at the heart of it with feelings and a psychological state and potential mental health challenges because you're all coming after her. Like what a flat way, what a silly way to discuss this when she is a human and she had to witness all of this and go through it. I think the other frustrating thing is it's a guy saying it and I just feel like it's all well and good for you to say, well, we dragged her through the mud, but look at her now. It's like you would very likely have very little sense of what that's like as a woman in the public eye. Yeah, and he's also trying to characterise this as 
she succeeded because of us when in reality yes. it's she succeeded despite, despite you. you. Yes, absolutely. Now, the Observer pointed out in one of their own pieces that while we once had pointed out the ways in which Anne Hathaway didn't live up to Jennifer Lawrence, we'd also since grown tired of Jennifer Lawrence branding her <laughs> down-to-earthness a, quote, routine. And I think for me... <laughs> This has to be one of the great ironies and great tragedies of this entire story that for so long we pitted Anne Hathaway and Jennifer Lawrence against each other saying to Anne Hathaway, be more like Jennifer Lawrence, be more like Jennifer Lawrence. And then when Jennifer Lawrence was too much like Jennifer Lawrence, we said, "Mm, we'll drag you down too. We actually like Anne Hathaway more now. Like the complete bullshittery of this that we then came after J-Law. Everyone held her up as the pinnacle, as what all women should aspire to be. And then within a couple of years, we all turned around. We accused her of having affairs she didn't have. We accused her of being too manufactured, which was exactly... Too inauthentic. So authentic she was suddenly inauthentic. Yeah. Like the funniest part about this is imagine being back in 2013 and knowing how this would play out, that in 2022 we'd be sitting here and J-Law would be trashed Anne Hathaway is back in our good graces. I don't even think J-Law will probably ever come back into the public eye to the degree she once was. I mean, she did a big profile piece last year. But why would she? Yeah, she was dragged through it too. Like, we're fucking ruthless. The cost is too high for them, I think, at this point. Like, they do the press they have to do for their films, but I think they pick fewer films now because they don't have to do as much publicity. But... I think uh, when it comes to this story, this brings us to today, right? Mm. Anne is turning 40 at the end of this year. And since Hathahate or the rise of Hathahate, her career has gone from strength to strength. She started movies like The Intern. She starred in big blockbuster franchises like Alice Through the Looking Glass. This year she starred in the series We Crashed, which was all about the WeWork scandal, which I did watch and she was the far and away star of that show. She was amazing. Yeah, and I've also said on the podcast recently, obsessed with her episode of Modern Love, which she only did a couple of years ago on Amazon Prime as well. Like she really is killing it and she's not just killing it in her career. She now has two sons with her husband. She does a lot of work campaigning for human rights. She was appointed the UN Women Goodwill Ambassador in 2016 for her advocacy in gender equality. She really is, or at least seems to be, and I'm happy to project love onto her, having never met her, she seems to be a really decent person who did not deserve what we put her through. I totally agree. I found this really interesting. In 2018, the writer Abby Gardner wrote a piece for Glamour titled, I was one of Anne Hathaway's Hatha haters until now. In that piece, she sort of unpacked her own bias and her own flaws that led her to jumping on this hate-filled bandwagon. And she said, sometimes it's just easier to be snarky. It's certainly my default position more than I'd like to admit. Really, what's so wrong with being earnest or trying too hard? I remember once joking that Hathaway seemed like a not-so-great hang. But once I removed my snark-coloured glasses, she was, dare I say, delightful. (sighs) What a good quote to end this. I really wanted to on. end it on that because I thought there's a lesson in that for all of us. Yeah. I think that it is easier to be snarky. It is easier to pull people apart. But the more decent thing to do is to see people like Anne Hathaway in these scenarios as human. Yeah, and the next time you see a trend that is directed towards hating one person, one public figure, ask yourself, who has that public figure harmed? 
what have they done to inflict harm on anyone? If they've inflicted harm, then maybe the criticism is justified. If you can't think of a reason beyond them having a long-shaped face that may remind <laughs> you of the 2008 global <laughs> financial crisis, something tells me you, sir, are the problem. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to this one. We hope you got through it without feeling the despairing feeling I know I felt so much despair but as always a huge thank you to our researcher Justine Landis Hanley again what a joy well joy is a funny word but still a joy working on this with you but I think a bit of despair as well working through it just realizing how bad things were if you guys want to support the show, you can click follow on whatever app you're listening to, be it Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. It certainly does. Bye, guys. We'll be back in your ears next Monday. See ya. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.